to start a new little series here called uh, The School of Freedom. I believe God wants all of us to walk in freedom. Now, each one of us, because of, of significant events in our lives, whether that was things that people did to you, whether that was issues in your life, get your hand up real high and go to, go to 1 Corinthians 4 with me. Whether it was uh, people, significant issues in your life, what happens with these is these will continually to negatively affect your life if you don't ever deal with them properly. And what I mean by properly is through the things of God. Allow God to touch your heart. Allow God to minister to your heart. And that's, that's what He wants to do with each one of us that, to help us overcome those things and get past those. Like I said, go with me to the book of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is where we'll begin. But Jesus didn't die for me and you to ignore these things. He didn't die for us to cover them up. Jesus died for us to help us overcome them. To walk in victory in life, in this life. And so this is some of the things we're going to talk about. Also, listen, in, in uh, Philippians 3, verse 13, the Apostle Paul said this. He said, one thing I do is I forget those things that are behind and I reach forward to the things ahead of me. Now, Paul didn't say, I forget those things because he lifted up the rug of life and he just swept them under there. See, a lot of times, that's how we as human beings, we like to deal with things. We just like to stick them under a rug and ignore them and act like they don't ever happen or they never happen. I'm going to tell you guys, that's not freedom. That's bondage for each one of us. And I believe the reason Paul says, one thing I do is I forget those. You know why? Because he had dealt with them. He had, he had allowed God to settle and reconcile those things in his heart. But also, he got to a place in his life where he could, he could forgive others for the things he's done. But get this. He got to the place in his life where he could forgive himself. See, that's one of the big things that happens to us as human beings. A lot of times the things we do, we can't ever forgive ourselves, we don't think. Remember, Apostle Paul said this about himself. I'm the chief sinner. I'm numero uno. There's not been a better sinner than me. Now, I believe some of us in this room, we could probably debate it. Say, you know, I gave you a close run. But the reason Paul can say that is because he had dealt with those things in his life and it had led him to overcome. And when we deal with those things, I'm going to tell you, God will use you mightily on earth. Amen? All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's begin in verse number 1. Let a man so consider us. Let men look up to us as servants of Christ, as stewards or trustees or guides of the mysteries of God. Now, it's interesting right here that we're to be looked up to as servants, as stewards for the mysteries of God, for the things of God, that people ought to look to us and say, those folk are different. There's something different about them. Man, every time they come to work, there's something different about them. Man, when I see them in, in times in their life when most people would be rocked, they're not rocked. This is what God wants to do. Now, look at the next qualification in verse 2. Moreover, it is required in the stewards... That one be found faithful. The Amplified says, proving himself worthy of trust. Reliable. Three things he deals with in the first two verses. That we're to be servants. You know what a servant is? That means you don't always get your own way. A steward, a trustee of the things of God. But also, God wants us to be faithful. You know what faithful is not? 
Faithful is not a saint on Sunday and a sinner on Monday. Faithful is not someone that says, you know what, I can serve the kingdom of God. Just No. Faithful is every day of my life I live this way. I have the heart of a servant. I have the heart of a steward. Now look what Paul says in verse 3. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by human court. He says, it's a very small thing to me that you put me on trial. In other words, I really don't care what you think about me. I'm not trying to win a a public opinion poll. Now, the reason Paul was saying this, I believe, is because people tried to judge him. They tried to criticize him. They tried to bring his past up. Who do you think you are to be serving God like that? Who do you think you are to, to be a speaker like you are a representative of God? Now, many of us in this room, when we have great pasts in our background, people will always try to remind us of our past. They'll try to put you on trial. I still get that a lot of days in my life. People will say, I can't believe what you do for a living. You know what I tell them? I can't believe it either. I'm as in big a shock as you are. But a lot of times people will try to bring up your past and they'll try to remind you of everything that you've done wrong. Now this is what Paul's getting to. He's saying, listen guys, I'm a servant of God. I'm a steward. I'm faithful. And you're not going to get me out of what I'm doing. So he goes on to say this. I do not even judge myself. I don't even put myself on trial. That's interesting because you know what a lot of us do? We put ourselves on trial. And we have this thing called comparison. And we try to compare our lives to other people. Oh, I wish I was this. Or I wish I was that. Or I wish I hadn't done this. And before long, if you live a life of comparison, you're going to become very self-critical, self-condemning, which ultimately leads to this, I offend myself. Did you guys realize you could offend yourself? That you could live in a state of offense to myself? And he says, I don't even put myself on trial. Now this is going to be a huge revelation to some of you today. But you're the person that you spend the most time with. Everywhere you go, there you are. In other words, you're never going to get away from you. And the reason I point that out is this, because if you don't like you, you you won't like other people. If you're not merciful to you, you're not going to be merciful to others. If you don't get along with you, you won't get along with others. Actually, the Bible says that if you don't love you, you won't love others. Where's that at? Well, Jesus said this. He said, to love your neighbor as your mama. That's not what he said. He said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Some of you say, where's that at? No, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So once again, if I can't love myself, I'm never going to love others. I can't give away what I don't have. And so if you become critical toward yourself, understand this. That's not from God. Critical behavior is not from God. That comes from the devil. And so when you continually pick at yourself, always finding fault with yourself, always comparing yourself, I wish I was as handsome as Ernest. 
I wish I was as smart as Jesse. See, before long, man, it just wears you down and erodes and erodes you. I don't know why they laughed when I said that. Keep reading here, verse 4. For I know of nothing against myself. Now, this is great right here, guys. Some of you need to get a hold of this. This is the Apostle Paul, and he says, I know of nothing against myself. Now, remember, this guy is the guy who described himself as the chief sinner. This guy is the guy who had imprisoned people. This guy had, had, had put a signature on people dying. And he said, I don't find anything in myself. You know why he was able to say that? It's because he understood fully what the blood of Jesus will do for you. And that's where we got to get that every one of us, we have a thing called B.C., before Christ, before we were saved. And so Paul understood what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, that, that if any man be found in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things are passed away. And so because of Jesus, he's able to go forward in life. I find nothing against myself. Yet I am not justified or vindicated by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. In other words, I'm going to live my life through the Lord and I'm going to allow Him to justify me. I'm going to allow Him to vindicate me. And I'm going to allow the Lord to convict me. And I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to allow the Lord to correct me. Verse number 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the time. Don't jump to conclusions until the Lord comes. Who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsel of the hearts or the inner motives. Then each one's praise will come from God. Now when we look at this as human beings, there's two things that happen to every one of us. There's a thing called condemnation. And condemnation, it suppresses you. It pushes you down. Actually, in, in uh, Romans 8.1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So you know where condemnation comes? It comes from the enemy. The message says on that verse for the word condemnation, it says a low-lying dark cloud that hangs over you. Everywhere you go, there's this cloud. That's what condemnation does. The difference between condemnation and conviction is when the conviction of God comes upon you, it causes you to rise up. It causes you to start saying, okay, I've got to start living with the things of God. But when I live with condemnation, it's like the treadmill effect. you got a lot of motion, but you're just not going anywhere. This may be you today. Don't put up with condemnation. There's a huge difference between condemnation and conviction. I like conviction, guys. What do you mean by conviction? When I start reading the scriptures or I start hanging out with God, God starts convicting my heart. I know people right now who say, I don't want to go to a church where there's conviction. You want to go to a church where there's conviction. That's what causes us to grow. That's what causes us to start looking at our life and saying, man, I'm not the faithful steward. I'm not the faithful servant that God's called me to be. Go with me to the book of 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Way back there in the back. You've gone to Revelations, you've gone just a little too far. Now, here's something that each one of us need to know. The more time I hang out with God, the more I'll begin to act like God.
The more I get in the Word of God, the more the Word of God will begin to birth in my heart. Now, the reason I say that, you start hanging out with God, you start spending time in His presence, you start making consistent time in the Word of God, you're going to start having some conviction come. And when conviction comes, you're not going to keep be able to keep living the way you have. In other words, God's going to start cutting on you a little, which is a good thing. The issue is when conviction comes that I can't judge other people by how God has convicted me. How many have ever thought this or said this? Well, every time I do that, God convicts my heart. But they do that all the time and nothing ever happens with them. You know why? Because do you expect more out of a five-month-old or a five-year-old? I mean, a five-month-old, there's not a lot of expectation on them. All they do is go to the bathroom and eat. That's it. And sleep. But a five-year-old, at least they begin to get dressed on their own and they're potty trainer, at least we hope so. You have more of an expectation on a five-year-old or a 15-year-old? You have more expectation on a 15-year-old or a 25-year-old? See, that's the things in the kingdom of God because when God begins to convict you, He's moving you to higher ground. He's moving you to new levels. Well, this is what we're talking about here. 1 Peter 5. Verse number 10. But may the God of all grace. May the God of all grace. One translation says he imparts blessing and favor. I want to give you a a definition of grace today. That it's unmerited favor. But I want to also tell you something that grace is not. Grace is not divine permission for me to sin. See, so many people right now will say, you know what, I can do whatever I want because I live under grace. If that's your thinking of grace, you've missed the boat. Grace is is an empowerment to assist us not to sin. Grace doesn't give me a license to sin. Grace is an empowerment that helps me from not sinning. And so one thing we can say is, oh Lord, grace me today. Help me today. Assist me today. So right here he says, But may the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus. By Christ Jesus. Now what happens with us, guys, is when I receive Jesus as Lord as my life, there's a grace that will come with it. And Jesus wants to help us to be all we can be. He wants to assist you, but it's all through Christ Jesus. Actually, John 15, 5, Jesus said this, Without me... You can do nothing. So right here, this is an invitation to say, Lord Jesus, come on the inside of me. Begin to help me get past some things. Now look what it goes on to say here, Peter does. By Christ Jesus, and after you have suffered a while, after you have suffered a while, why don't you underline that in your Bible? Because every time I read that, I say, why is that in there? we got to suffer a while. You know why that is? Because when the Lord starts purging us, and when the Lord starts pruning on you, it's all not always a lot of fun. It's not always a great thing, but what ends up happening is you have to start looking at yourself in the mirror. And when I begin to look at the self in the mirror, sometimes I think, Ooh, I got some issues. I got some problems. And so what it ends up happening is I come to grips that, you know what, Lord Jesus, I need you to keep helping me. You're the potter and I'm the clay. Keep whacking on me. 
Keep cutting on me. Keep pruning on me. See, this is what the conviction of God will do. He'll keep working on you. He'll keep trying to get you a place where he can. Because you know what? He wants to partner with you. He wants to help you. Denial is not one of the fruits of the Spirit. Many times we live in denial and we don't want to look at things in our life. And when we have that mentality, you know what? We stay right where we're at in life. Years go by, years go by. How many have ever seen a believer that's never grown spiritually? This is what it is. They don't welcome the convicting power of God. And so what ends up happening with every one of us, and none of us in this room have lived the life of a fairy tale. You know what most of us do as humans? We cope with things. We learn to cope with our issues. We try to cope with our past hurts. Now let me give you a definition of the word cope. It means to learn to tolerate existing situations. Let me read that one more time. It means to learn to tolerate existing situations. How many of you does that define you? That there's things in your life you've just learned to cope with. Well, here's what I want you to see today. Jesus didn't die for us to cope with things. Jesus died for us to overcome them through Him. That He's going to help you, He's going to assist you, but you've got to give Him permission in your life. Now this is big. You will never exchange your behavior problems or you'll never effectively change your behavior without changing your heart. Now we can try man-made things to change our behavior. You know, a lot of times we think, well, you know what, if I go on this great diet, it's going to change everything. Listen, guys, anything in my life i found that if I don't change my heart, I won't change my behavior. But when I begin to change my heart, something starts happening on the inside. Changing my heart's an inside job. And that's why it says in Zechariah 4, 6, it's not by might nor by power, but it's by the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit's not going to make you do anything. But when you begin to ask Him to come in and assist me, He will. Now this is what's big for every one of us in this room. That I must stay with the Word of God. I must hang on to the Word of God. Day by day by day by day. The Word of God, once it gets on the inside of you, will begin to change you. Now in my own life, guys, I like to garden just a little bit. This year my garden will probably have 10, maybe 15 green chili plants, one tomato plant, and maybe one green bean plant. I'm a chili farmer is what I am. Big crop. When I put that seed in the ground, guys, and I go out there the next day, I don't go back in the house and scream and yell at Shelly and say, Those are the sorriest seeds you've ever bought me. No. That seed's in the ground, and you know what I do? I keep watering it. And I keep watering it. And if any of you have ever planted anything, you know what a happy day is? When you see this little green sprout coming up, and, and some of you who garden a little bit, think about how the dirt just begins to move a little And you see that thing coming up. And you know what? When that begins to come up, that's a happy day. And when that comes up, you know what I begin to picture? 
I begin to picture those long green chilies. I'm like, there it is. There it is. I get excited because you know what? I know when that thing's coming, it's just a matter of time. Why am I telling you that? That's what the Word of God does. It gets down here and some of you say, oh dear, it's not working, it's not working. How do you know it's not working? Just because you're not seeing the manifestation. Those green beans are working. It's coming up. And so the more you stay with it, just stay with it. Just stay in the Word and stay in the Word and stay in the Word. When's it going to happen? In due season. See, a lot of it comes, even when you plant things in the natural, it comes down to the condition of the soil. It comes down to temperature. It comes down to even moisture supply. Well, how does that work for us spiritually? And I just stay in the Word of God. See, I'm telling some of you this because you've got things in your life that if you'll begin to apply the Word of God, green beans are on their way. They're going to happen. Now look at Jesus' promise right here in the Word. That He said, after you've suffered a while, He will perfect you. He'll complete you. He'll establish you. He'll strengthen you. And He will settle you. This is exactly what the Word of God do. This would be a great prayer for me to say, Oh, Father God, come and perfect me today. Come and establish me today. I welcome your strength. I welcome you to come settle me. Verse 11. To Him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Do you know what He's saying right here? God's going to get the last word. God will perfect you if you'll allow Him, if you'll just stay with Him. Say, okay, Father God. Okay, Father God. He'll move. He'll take care of you. Now, listen, the rest of this morning, we're going to go to the School of Freedom. And I'm going to give you three classes that we're going to attend, okay? Your first period class, go with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to get this on the inside of us here today. This is the leading part of, of how ones in this room, you're going to be set free. Things are going to begin to happen. Now listen, I'm going to speak on this for the next three, four, or five weeks, somewhere in there. I'm going to tell you guys, don't miss this. There's going to be some things that are going to be said in the next few weeks. If you were at the Men of Iron this year, many of you heard my brother speak on the, the vows, the oaths, the, the inner witnesses, the things we've said over ourselves. I'm going to talk on that, and I don't know which Sunday you got to come to find out. But I'm going to tell you right now, you don't want to miss it. I'm gonna tell you, it. It is powerful, powerful, powerful. And it will start helping some of us because every one of us in this room at one time or another, we've said stuff like this. I'll never, I'll never let people hurt me again. I'll never get married again. I'll ne-. And what ends up happening is when we start saying these inward vows, we are more just in our hearts or committed to obey those oaths than we are even the Word of God. We'll see the Word of God, but because we've said this over and over, this gets rooted in us and we'll say, I'll never. And when I live with that, I'll never, I'm going to tell you, it's bondage. I better get off of that. That's in a few weeks. We better stay focused here. The first classroom we're going to is the classroom of reconciliation. Many of you say, what does that word reconciliation mean? Well, one de- uh, definition of it means to settle. God wants to settle us. The things in our life. Another definition of the word reconciliation means to change from one condition to another. 
In other words, to take you from an old sinner and transform you into a person of God. This is what reconciliation does. Verse 18 in 2 Corinthians 5. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus. Now you know what he did right here? He settled our relationship between mankind and God. And how did he do that? Through Jesus. So when you give your heart to Jesus, guys, there's a reconciliation that starts happening in our heart. But he didn't stop there. He went on to say, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the ministry. So you know what this means? That He's called us to settle our relationships with others. And when I take on the ministry of reconciliation, you know what that means? I'm about my Father's business now. God's going to start working on the inside of me and helping me. He goes on to say in verse 19, that is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing or reckoning their trespasses to them, and has committed us the word of reconciliation. So in other words, God doesn't take our sins and beat us over the head with them. And says, listen stupid, you shouldn't have done that. That's not God. He does not impute our trespasses or sin upon us. Actually, when we give our heart to Jesus and we repent of our sin, you know what He does? He forgives us. He wipes our clean, our slate clean. He settles us. And it's not based on on all the good things you do. It's based on you just begin to receive it. So you know what? Thank you today, Lord. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm a brand new creation in Him. I'm a partaker of His divine nature on me. He will not impute sin. I thank you, Father God. Now, once again, this isn't based on what I did. This is based on what Jesus did. But I must get this in my heart. He's reconciling me. Go to the book of John. Chapter number 8. John chapter 8. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And as you're turning there, this is the second truth we're going to go to. So your second period class today is the classroom of reality. The classroom of reality. Now I want you to see some things here in the, in the scriptures today that will settle in your heart. That'll get in there and and it'll it'll change the way you see things. It'll change the way you view things. It'll change the way you live. Uh, John chapter 8 verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, if you live in my word, if you remain in my word. One translation says if you hold fast to my word or if you live in accordance to my word. Now I want you to think about that for a second. For me to live in accordance with His Word is not just a Sunday thing. It's not just a Monday thing. It's every day of my life that I've got to purpose in my heart. I'm going to live by the Word of God. Now the reason I'm telling you that is this is where reality's got to begin to sink into every one of us. I've got to live by the Word of God. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. The Bible is not multiple choice. I like to say this about the Word of God. It's either all true or none of it's true. Look what he goes on to say. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth 
and the truth shall make you free. So when you live in accordance with the Word of God, the truth of that Word of God will begin to get in your heart, and when it gets in your heart, it'll set you free. So don't have this mentality, well, it doesn't work for me. It's outdated. I've tried that, it doesn't work. No, 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 no. What Jesus said, if you live in accordance with my word, that word will set you free. And when people say, Pastor, I've tried that, it's not working. So you know what you're telling me? You're a special case. See, this is where the reality has to set in to every one of us. The word of God is the truth. The word of God is reality. Only that word will set me free. Now, when you look at this, there's only one teacher, and his name is Jesus. He has one book. It's called the B-I-B-L-E. He has many subjects, but one book. Now, Jesus will not compete with other religions. Jesus will not compete with man-made ideas. Jesus will not compete with watered-down gospel. When I get the reality that this is his word, I'm going to live it, I'm going to obey it, I'm going to think it. I'm going to speak it. I'm going to be set free. If I don't, I won't. But this is the reality. Now look to your right, just a couple pages to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, and this is still the school of reality. That I want to get one more verse in you today. Verse 6. John 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I want you to get some things here because Jesus didn't say, I am a truth. He didn't say, I am a way. If you'll note in there, he said, I am the truth, the way, the life. And he, he, he means this, guys, when he says, I'm the way to God. I'm, I'm the truth that you've searched for. I'm the life that you've longed for. And if you'll notice here, he says this. The only way to the Father is through Him. So you know what that means? When I come to the Father, I come in the name of Jesus. That's how I pray in the name of Jesus. When I begin to address the Father, even in His words, I say, oh, thank you, Father God. I come today in the name of Jesus. You know why? I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. He's qualified me. So understand this truth right here, guys. He is the way, the reality. There is no other way. Some of you say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, no, 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 listen. This is the reality i got to get to. There's no other truth. And so when I begin to look at the Word of God, there's no shortcuts, there's no way around it. This is what God's Word said. If you ever come to me in counseling and you ask me questions, you know what I'll reply? What's the Word say? And you know what I found with the Word of God? Sometimes it's annoyingly accurate. You know what that means? There's a lot of times in my life, guys, I don't like what the Word of God may say. But I've settled it in my heart. That's the truth. Nothing else. There is no other truth but that right there. And so when I, I read this in the Word of God, man, I'm telling you, it settles me. How many of you are on Facebook? Some of you on Facebook. Well, I'm going to give you a new definition of Facebook today. Face the book. It's deep, isn't it? 
It's deep. Now, if this says, ouch, oh well, let it say that. If you're on Facebook more than you're on in this book, you probably got some problems in your life. Ouch. That hurt, Pastor. See, this is where we got to get. And so, guys, I, I got to have this in my life every day. I've got to treasure this. This is my blueprint for my life. Everything that's needed in life is right here. Marriage. You got issues in your marriage? Face the book. You got issues in raising your kids? I wish the Bible said how to raise your kids. It does. It does. Just read Proverbs. See, everything's in here. This is the reality that every one of us must come to this conclusion. I've got to get in the Word of God. I've got to live my... And, and with the Word of God, there are no ifs and buts. If if and buts were candy and nuts, what a Merry Christmas we'd have. No, this is the truth, the Word of the living God. That it was inspired by God for me and you. And every time I read it, I say, oh Lord, give me reality, give me truth. Let the eyes of my understanding be enlightened. And I tell the Holy Spirit, come in and give me revelation knowledge. Help me compute this, Lord. I graduated from Clovis High School. You've got to help me, Lord. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. But God will help you. One more classroom. Go to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. In this last classroom, this is your home, homeroom classroom. The classroom of responsibility. The classroom of reconciliation. The classroom of reality. The classroom of responsibility. Now this is a, is a difficult one for most of us as human, human beings. Because anytime we've got issues in our life, what's the easiest thing for every one of us to do? It's easy just to do like Adam did. Remember in the garden when Adam sinned? You know what he said to God? It's that woman you gave me. What am I saying? Usually as human beings, our easiest way out of life is to blame other people. And I'm not saying that you haven't had things in your life that were hurtful. Whether it was what people did, significant events in your life through people. Whether it was issues in your life. But here's the thing is, if you're going to live your whole life by blaming other people, you're never going to be set free. Ever. Because here's the deal. When I blame other people for my problems, you know what I'm saying? The only one that has the solution for those problems is those people I'm blaming. I'm going to tell you, when I look at people, it's going to get me in trouble. The only solution I really have is to take responsibility for my life and then begin to say, okay, Father God, I'm going to trust you. You're my solution. If you'll notice in the Scriptures, there's no th nothing in there that says, if you go through life and you've never been wounded or hurt, you're going to walk in victory. When I read about people in the Bible, they all had issues. There was incredible stuff that happened with them. But they didn't blame other people. They began to rise up and they took responsibility for their own life. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. He didn't leave nothing out, guys. He's already blessed us and He's 
blessed us with everything that we would need. Verse 4. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy or whole. And look what He says. And without blame before Him in love. Without blame before Him. So you know what? The Lord doesn't want us coming into His presence and saying, you know, Father God, I've got all these issues in my life, and it's, it's all because of Gary. I mean, every day he, he, he did stuff to make me cuss. Every day he did stuff to me. See, this is how we get. And he says, come before me. Don't, don't come with blame. You know what I think he's saying here? Man up. Man up. Quit being a Hooters boy. Man up. I don't know if that was appropriate, but sorry. See, this is what happens in our lives. That we play blame, we play blame, and we play blame. And I'm going to tell you, when I live by a blame game, guys, I'll never be set free. And so the, the, the common denominator of being free or not is if I take responsibility or I don't. And this is where the Lord's got to get every one of us. He wants to help us live in freedom. Now, when I begin to take responsibility for my choices... And I face life by righteousness through God in Christ. And I start living by the word of God and say, all right, Lord Jesus, I'm not going to allow this stuff to keep knocking me off track. Guess what ends up happening? We become graduates of the school of freedom. Now, every one of us in here have had issues. The problem is this, have we dealt with them? Or do we just cope with them? I don't know about you guys in my own life. I don't, I don't like to cope with things anymore. I like to deal with things. I like to have the things of God right in my life. And I realize that becomes a choice of mine. And every week you say, Pastor, you have issues. And I have things I have to do. Sometimes in life, man, it gets overwhelming. I mean, I, I, I did Gina's husband's funeral on Thursday. Those are tough days at times when, when you're around death like that. And then all of a sudden, I've got to shift emotions and gears. To what? To go to a wedding. And so my little 51-year-old emotions, they were up and down. Where am I going? Where am I all week? And you know what? I begin to sense, I've got to have you, Father God. I've got to have your help here today. And so even when I did the, the funeral, I called out to God and I said, Lord, you've got to help me. I got too much humanity in me. And when I went to the wedding, I said, Oh, Lord, you got to help me. you got to help me. Because what happens in us is when we start living life and we just start coping with things, those things start overriding us. And they start running us down. The issue is, how many of you have lived that way? Year after year after year. And you take this broom and, and you just sweep it under the rug and you have the mentality, it's going to go away. I don't want to be the bearer of, good, of bad news today, but it's not going to go away. The only way it's going to go away is when we begin to deal with it appropriately with the blood of Jesus. And say, all right, Lord, stand up with me. Oh, Lord, you've got to come in and help me. Come in and touch my heart today. Come in and water me. 